Hello and welcome back, Curious to Serious listeners. This is your host, Gabby, and in this episode, I talk with Mariah Punai. Mariah is working towards becoming a licensed therapist in the state of California. And let me tell you, this episode is just packed full of information and resources for all of those who are out there interested in also becoming licensed to be able to practice psychotherapy. I had the pleasure of meeting Mariah over a year ago at one of the Psychedelic Grad community meetings, and I remember when I first met her, she was telling me all about her journey, this process of going through licensure, all of the challenges that she had been through, how she was like trying to check all the boxes on requirements and working her way through this. And I remember thinking to myself like, wow, this experience is just so invaluable to our community members. And I I just couldn't wait to finally get her onto the podcast to share all of her insight with everyone. So for those of you who are interested in taking this legal path to becoming some kind of psychedelic psychotherapist or interested in practicing psychotherapy from a licensed position, this is the episode for you. Like I'm telling you. You know, we take time at the beginning of our conversation to talk about some of the organizations and companies that Mariah has been a part of over the last several years, including Process Therapy Institute, as well as her own company called One Brilliance. Our discussion in the episode is really free-flowing, and so we cover a lot of just different key themes along the way. We take time to cover what's called the BBS, which is the Board of Behavioral Sciences, who's responsible for issuing licenses for practicing therapy. And Mariah does a wonderful job speaking to what that process looks like. And she tells us some of the challenges that she's faced while working through that process so that others can learn from her. We also cover her experiences in learning and practicing what Mariah refers to as AMFT, which stands for Associative Marriage and Family Therapy. We also have an essential discussion on the need for more BIPOC representation within the field of therapy and what that means for creating accessibility to mental health treatment. Mariah shares how psychedelics found her and guided her to do the therapeutic work that she wants to be doing. And we also talk about what is transpersonal psychology and how she landed at Sophia University for her master's and now pursuing her PhD there. Our conversation's really unique in this episode. As Mariah weaves together the therapeutic and treatment practices of psychotherapy with spiritual practices, healing, and plant medicine to paint a nuanced picture of what the future of psychedelic psychotherapy can look like. And of course, we round out our discussion with Mariah looking towards her future work and her desire to serve her community. So be sure to check out the show notes for ways to connect with Mariah. She's an amazing resource. Also, be sure to check out those show notes for all kinds of relevant links that we will talk about throughout our discussion. Additionally, before we get started, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsor. This podcast wouldn't be here without MAPS, whose support has allowed us to keep the online psychedelic grad community platform free for all of our members, and it allows us to publish these insightful conversations for everyone to enjoy. We also have an opportunity for our listeners to support Psychedelic Grad. If you visit the links in the show notes, you'll find a link to our Buy Us a Coffee page, and that is where you can donate to Psychedelic Grad, you can help keep the dream alive, and we can keep providing resources and education to our growing community. 
And finally, I want to thank all of our listeners for joining me in this rejuvenating conversation with Mariah Punai. Hello, Mariah, and thank you for joining me today on the Curious to Serious podcast. Hi, thanks for having me here. So I'm really excited for this episode because we actually met, I think it's been at least a year, probably a year, if not a little over a year. We met in a community meeting and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you were telling me about all these different and interesting things that you were doing in your life and certificates and internships and fun things. And I was like, this sounds like a really fascinating and informative person to have on the podcast. So I am finally like excited that our schedules matched up and we're able to get this recording together. Um, Cause I think a lot of our uh, listeners and a lot of the psychedelic grad community members are interested in like the therapy side of things. So um I'm hoping that they get to pull a lot of informational kind of tidbits from you and um, and learn a lot because we get a lot of questions on the community about this. And as someone who's not a therapist, I don't know how to help them and I don't know how to answer them. So I'm really excited for you to share this knowledge with everyone today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me here. So let's start out with some of the organizations that you're currently involved in or that you've we just talked about this, but um, we'll talk about Process Therapy Institute, but you just told me about, you just finished up your uh, internship there, but let's talk about some of these different organizations. Um, We can kind of start wherever I've got, I've got a list. I've got like one brilliance on here. I've got Process Therapy Institute, you know, wherever you want to start, go for it. Yeah, sure. So I am, um, yeah, so we could just maybe start with um, one brilliance. It's a company that I founded actually last year, just mainly out of necessity for raising awareness for the natural world. My background is actually in geography before I became a therapist and studied uh, psychology and counseling psychology at Sophia University. So just kind of going back through um, through that, what I do at my business is that I started that company to raise awareness for empowering people with the environment and how to connect more with the environment through tree hugging and tree hugging products. And then you mentioned Process Therapy Institute. Um, I actually started my internship there as a practicum site um, when I was in um, college at my master's program studying master's in counseling psychology for my marriage and family therapy uh, program and also professional clinical counseling. So um, right now I'm a registered associate marriage and family therapist and I sent my application to the BBS um, early this year and that's being reviewed uh, for my Uh, associate application registration number for the professional clinical counseling part. So anyway, there's like additional things that we could talk about with what that entails and what their requirements are and like what I had to do to jump hoops and like basically hop, skip and a jump and like do some all sorts of things just to meet the hours requirements. Uh, And um, and yeah, basically uh, now I'm here on the podcast with you just kind of talking about what my experience has been like. Yeah, I remember when we first connected at that community meeting and you were telling me about jumping through those hoops and like all these things you're going to have to do to do this, you know, get this 
all of these things that I don't understand, but like the licensure and the numbers and all of that. And I was like, wow, this is a super intense process. So <laughs> it is maybe that's a good place to kind of start off with. Like, let's talk a little bit about like, what is this? Is, is it one particular certification or is it like multiple certifications? What is it? Why do you okay. need it? And talk so, about that process. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so in California, in order to become a legal uh, psychedelic psychotherapist, uh, we, one would have to have like a license on the legal side of things. And um, there are some steps that are required for that. One would have to have a master's degree and that has its own requirements based on the school. Um, in my case, I actually studied uh, counseling psychology with a concentration in marriage and family therapy and an option to do um, a professional clinical counseling. Since that both of those programs were offered at my university at Sophia University, then I decided it's not much of a, a trouble to get both of those certificate. It's not really certification. It's like a, like a program basically to complete. So, and it's like 50 hours more to complete. So I decided to just pursue both tracks. So um, that entire process took about um, a little over three years. And um, actually, it, it took me a, like closer to four, four years to complete. Um, and once that once the theoretical side of things were, were, um, completed, then somebody would have to become a trainee. The traineeship is basically um, collecting hours for the BBS requirements while somebody is in school. Now, that could be anywhere from theoretical practice to, pra to a practicum. So that piece right there requires supervision. And um, my experience with that was was just really, um, really uh, interesting, as to, is to say the least, because there was a time frame where I was really navigating my way through the process in itself, while also learning theoretical and applicable practice. Um, with my supervisors in order to graduate. So um, the traineeship in itself on average uh, takes about like a year and a half to two years. In my case, it took me about um, like two years or so. So overall, uh, right before I graduated, it took me like uh, a while actually. When did I start? 2017. And then I graduated in 2022. So, so about five years um, of studying and uh, supervision as, as a trainee with an, an apprenticeship type of thing. Um, and then as soon as I graduated, then I just continued um, working at Process Therapy Institute to work with um, veterans and uh, their families. I worked with kids. I worked with a lot of people that are um, with the a queer and transgender community and supporting them as an ally. So that made me extremely satisfied as an apprentice and a trainee and a new graduate. Um, and then I also needed to get more hours, obviously, because I believe every person that is a therapist had to go through these types of hoops and, and steps in order to get their 
registration number, which is really not that easy. In my mind, when I first started, I thought it was going to be super easy. Like, oh, the program only takes two years to complete. No problem. That It's actually a lot more complicated than that. I'm not going to go into detail in this podcast, but I'm, I welcome, you know, conversing about it later on um, with with the community, uh, with what that entails, because there's certain things that we have to do, like logging hours, uh, making sure that we keep track of um, all the paperwork. Uh, and um, in my training with Process Therapy Institute included one year long training with the mirror program. And it's really cool because I, I didn't know what the mirror program was when I first started. What, what it is, is that there is the supervisor in a like one way mirror on the other side of the room and then we had these headphones or like wireless uh, headphone devices basically like bluetooth or something and um they basically uh you know teach us what we're doing if we're like doing it right or we're doing it like kind of funky or you know um so they just kind of walk us through and how the therapeutic process is. And I felt really comfortable with that. And I graduated from that training for about a year. And I'm really grateful for my experience at PTI. And um, yeah, and so I'm still completing my hours for licensure. And um, eventually I ended up moving to uh, Shasta and uh, took on an internship there. It didn't quite work out. However, what did work out is the BBS did issue me my uh, AMFT uh, registration number um, right right after that. So I'm really grateful for that experience. Um, there I was able to work with, um, you know, training and I was able to be certified with dialectical behavioral training. And um, yeah, before that I worked at um, a hospital prevention program up in Marin and uh, I worked with dual diagnosed folks, really complicated cases um, to make sure that they don't relapse with whatever it is that they're going through, resource them. We did a lot of CBT, DBT, um, and then I was fortunate enough to implement a mindfulness-based practice with some of the the patients there so that they don't go back to their hospitals. And I worked with um, clinical social workers uh, that they were working with, even worked with probation officers and supporting them and supporting the patients so that they don't go back to whatever like problems that they were having before, just to make sure that when, uh, when they're done with the 30 day program, then they can go and be a little bit better with their their life and you know maybe help them get a career or a job somewhere in the community just so that they don't relapse because I understood that the relapse rate on average is about like 40 percent which is kind of you know within the year if they start a program and it's kind of it's kind of like really high for a relapse rate um, but it's actually helpful to have support for some of these people that are going through all sorts of uh, things in their lives and so it's just a matter of resourcing them and making sure that they also get the support that they need. Um, what I found while I was working in some of these these like internship sites and um, you know like workplaces, uh, I found that um, there's just this missing missing educational piece 
for clinicians about knowing how to approach things when somebody is either in a dissociated state or uh, in an altered state who's like been through a psychedelic experience or had had a breakthrough or a spiritual emergence. And so my training at Sophia University uh, really focused a lot on making sure that somebody is is able to be held in a safe container through a safe and therapeutic manner. And um, that's why I decided to pursue my PhD in transpersonal psychology because it really helped me understand what some of these people are really going through is so much more beyond than what the clinical DSM is describing. There's a lot more that's happening for some of these people in a spiritual sense because they have connected to something else greater than what they are experiencing in the physical and a lot of times the clinical setting doesn't quite 100% support their experience. So I thought to bring in mindfulness for some of these um, patients in order to recover faster. And not only that, it really helped a lot with the, uh, the other therapists that I was working in the same environment so that they're also well equipped and resourced for some of the things that these uh, patients are um, you know, recovering from. Wow. That's a, that's an abundance of experience. <laughs> like, ooh, that's a lot to do in, in honestly, you say it feels like all of it was, you know, a long time, five years, but that's an exceptional amount yeah. of experience and work and education and, um, just a lot there to learn from. And I want to encourage our listeners to definitely reach out if you want to learn more about, you know, those particular experiences and where they were and how it worked. I have a few questions about it that we'll go through, but I'm sure we won't cover everything. First, um, let's talk about acronyms. What does BBS mean? Oh, yes. Uh, BBS is the Board of Behavioral Sciences. They're basically the folks, the nice folks that are um, uh, responsible for checking the uh, the license status of somebody or like a registration status of somebody. They also are the ones that review the applications of the people that are in the process of getting licensed. Um, one thing that I will mention is that there is a component that's also quite important. And I'm in the middle of, of like the whole thing right now is studying for the law and ethics exam, which is like a whole nother beast in itself. So um, yeah, like I'm not going to go into that in this podcast because it's like uh, related, but not so much because I'm still studying for that. And um, yeah, and I'm still waiting for the Board of Behavioral Sciences to issue me my um, associate's uh, registration number in professional clinical counseling. So Okay, cool. It's important our listeners know what that means because it sounds like a very important board that they it is they yes. may be working with. Um, and then you threw out another acronym, AMFT. What does that mean? Oh yes, that's the Associative Marriage and Family Therapy. So that's the so there's steps to it. So one big so just to outline it really briefly. Um, when somebody graduates from a master's program, then they become a trainee, they accrue hours. Uh, that traineeship can last from like one to two years. And then they, that's like before sending the application to the BBS. Once um, somebody sends their application to the BBS, then the BBS uh, approves it. 
and then they're issued a, a, a registered number, then somebody graduates to the title of being an associate. So that's that's where I'm at at this time, an associate uh, before getting licensed. So there's some steps along the way that I have to complete, like passing a law and ethics exam, um, obtaining my other associate registration number uh, before I could sit for the licensure exam. So once I pass those things, then I'm able to sit for the license exam for both of those licenses. And then once I'm licensed, then I could actually start my pri- my own private practice. But right now, um, during that whole entire time frame, right after somebody graduates from a master's program, somebody's not allowed to to see patients or clients without supervision. So the whole time, somebody would have to have supervision. So right now I'm not seeing any clients. I had to like take some of these um, advertising things online, even if I didn't post them, I had to like notify all these people that like, hey, you're not allowed to do that because like I didn't give you permission to post that online. I like was really aggressive about it. I, I'm normally not that aggressive, but I had to in order to maintain the status of my license because I worked really hard to get that registration number. I mean, it took me five years just to even get that registration number. So I'm I feel kind of like a tiger mom with my um, <laughs> my registration numbers for some reason because like I put in that much like blood, sweat, and tears in like literally to get that registration number. And at one point, I like you know gone through so much. And the challenges that I that I um, faced, I'll just mention it really briefly, um, was really interesting because it's. It's, um, you know, there's not enough Filipino American therapists that are available, uh, that are licensed at this time. And I'm like one of the few people that are are fighting for this, basically, uh, as part of the entire um, path as a pathway for other other BIPOC therapists that are also uh, wanting to go through um you know, the legal path to become a, a psychedelic therapist because we need them. And uh, I'll, I'll mention too that when I left and completed my um, my training at Process Therapy Institute in July of this year, I got so many phone calls from people of color, the diverse community, the LGBTQI community, basically people of global, global majority. Um, but I couldn't help them because I didn't have a supervisor that was assigned to me and I didn't have like a work site. So that was, that was, that was just like a really challenging time. Um, but I also knew that wherever I land is where I'm going to be at. And I also um, knew that it gave me an opportunity to focus on my PhD, which I just started the beginning of this year um, while I was also, you know, working on acquiring my hours. So it's an ongoing process. It feels like it's just going and I, I literally have to maintain my own awareness and my own personal practice as a, you know, as a therapist provider in order to um, maintain the field and the integrity of the field and also to maintain my own integrity and my own word with myself with what I promised myself to do. So, yeah. 
Yeah, you did a great job outlining kind of what those steps are, kind of the larger picture process, which I appreciate kind of helped me visualize what that looks like. I'm sure there's all kinds of little intricacies, as you mentioned, that are involved in that. But I also want to highlight to our listeners that you mentioned a couple other really important things. One of the things that you said about was like, from what I understand, like when you kind of get your some sort of licensure number at some point in the process, I don't understand where, but like it's that becomes essentially public knowledge. So they, there's these organizations that can go out, they can take your information and like you said, put advertisements up and say like, oh, here's access to like um, like a therapist or something like that. So for our listeners who felt like a little over your head, um, that's kind of what we're talking about because I, I've seen those ads before. And if you're not someone who's you know, in the position to be practicing on your own, that can be really detrimental to you getting to that Mm -hmm. point and practicing on your own. Um, And I, there was, I feel like someone posted on the community about it um, a couple months ago, or it came up in a conversation that I have with someone about like, that's a serious issue and it's detrimental Mm -hmm. for people down the road. Um, So it's really something to think about. And for those who are interested in following this path, like making sure like you are detail oriented and making sure you're checking all the boxes and not you know, moving forward with any steps that could be harmful to like getting to the end goal with you. Um, Right. Yeah. And I think another really important point that you bring up too, that I absolutely want to highlight to our listeners is the essential role of diversity within the field and having representation. And like Mm -hmm. you said, like there's a very small and limited number of, you know, BIPOC individuals that are available for other BIPOC individuals to go to for this type of therapy and treatment. Um, And it, it kind of goes back to some of the conversations I know I've had with other people in the past, like this idea that, some people might be turned off by going towards like the more medical clinical model and getting therapy or psychedelic assisted therapy because of the history of um, basically non-white populations interacting with like white clinicians. Right. We see that with like the Tuskegee mm-hmm. experiments and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And so having that diversity, having that representation helps to bridge that gap where no matter you know, what ethnicity or identity that someone finds themselves in, they find like they have a comfortable avenue to get this type of treatment and therapy, but we can't provide that if we don't have other individuals within the field to be representative of, you know, a diverse population, because that's exactly what we are. So I think that's a super essential point that you bring up. And if anything, I hope it really, really encourages our listeners who identify within the BIPOC population to keep pushing and keep pursuing this. Cause like you said, and as you describe, it's super challenging and you have to fight for it. Um, but it's absolutely essential. So I really just want to pinpoint that for our listeners. Cause it's so, so important. Yeah. Thank you for, for emphasizing that because it, it really is essential because we, we do need more licensed uh, BIPOC therapists. We need more Filipino American therapists uh, that can speak the language because there there are some cultural um, uh, knowledges that are uh, just within the community that some people are familiar with, and um, you know, it, and it also helps a lot of the Asian Americans feel a little bit more comfortable knowing that somebody understands them and what they're going through and what they're. Um, family histories are and what the cultural traditions are because they're all varied and they're all different. And um, w- within the 
uh, Pacific Islander community, there is a lot of um, uh, people that are uh, very diverse in their genders. So, it, you know, like it's somebody that has that background could really help other people that are identifying as those pe- as those patients or those people. And a lot of times what, what I noticed too um, with going through this path, um, it, it's, it's important for people to feel the support that they need, especially if they want to use their insurance or if they want to just uh, see if that's going to work out or maybe they can't afford some of the fees that some of some of the um, other therapists are offering because in the Bay Area, an average of a therapist fee out of pocket is at least to, you know, at least a hundred to to $300. $300. It varies per range, but on average it's like $200. And that could, that could make or break somebody's relationship with uh, their therapist based on just finances. So I do a lot of um, work with people with, with um, how just to be more compassionate with their situation and also trying to understand their their reasons why they want they want to go a different path, a different route because they obviously need some mental health support and some they need somebody that's that's well versed and competent with their their cultural understanding. So I, you know, can't emphasize that enough that like we absolutely need more people that are, um, you know, that have knowledge about what what those are and um, through the license path. Uh, Maybe some people are okay with going through a non-licensed path. But to me, I feel that going through the licensed path destigmatizes the field of this perception with Asian Americans uh, seeking help, and uh, you know, it it helps a lot with um, making them feel more comfortable with seeking mental health support with a therapist that is not going to make them feel like there's something wrong with them. Because in Asian American culture, in a Pacific Islander culture, if you go to a therapist, then there's something wrong with you, so, which is not really true because it's it's a it's a false narrative that I, you know, like I, I'm like aware of as a therapist, but I also know that um, it doesn't need to continue because in th- that's only there because we don't have enough therapists of color that are licensed that are putting themselves out there to be able to um, provide the services and the help and the, the support that that people in the BIPOC community and the Pacific Islander and Asian American community um, are going through, especially with the most recent fires in Maui, you know, there's just like a lot of trauma from all that. Luckily there's a lot of community support. The Ohana family really comes together when it comes to, um, you know, supporting each other with that. And I'm really grateful for that because I felt very much supported with my Ohana community right after that happened and rebuilding, you know, for that too. And just like helping them and supporting my friends and family that have been affected. So I'm really, I'm really grateful for, you know, plant medicine and psychedelic knowledge and just the ability of our resilience as a community to be able to support each other in this way. Um, and also going through the, this, this legalized path 
it's it's not an easy path for somebody to go through and i like to think about it as you know it's a marathon it's not as it's not a sprint and so i know that i have to pace myself well i know that i have to find people that are within the community that feel comfortable enough to be able to to be present with me with my journey and like and and bringing this new path that i'm basically feels like pioneering you know, any anything new, anything that's pioneering is is gonna be difficult, and it's gonna be, you know, it, it's it takes some work and it takes some 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 chutzpah <laughs> because it does it does, and it it takes resilience, like a lot of resilience, and I like to um to have this philosophy of being able to get right back up when things are you know, not quite going in the direction that we all want it to go. Because on the external world, things are just going to happen anyway. And so the only thing that I can't, that I have complete control over is my own internal world. So that's my work as, as a, you know, a, a BIPOC therapist and, and a person that has background in ind- indigenous background that grew up in an animistic culture. My background is also, I grew up in a military family. So I was terrified going into this field because, you know, there's all this narrative about veterans and people that have recovered from PTSD. Well, in my case, and in, in truth, like we didn't, we didn't really experience that growing up. Like I had such a really beautiful childhood. It was very sheltered and it was within the military community. And I I loved it, you know, and I still love it to this day, which is a huge part of the reason why I decided to go into this field because I knew that, you know, there's a huge need for that. And there's also a, a big need for people to have access to, to therapy. But how do we do it in a legal way? Because I, I like I obviously don't want to break any rules because I was raised in a military household. <laughs> so I was like going into studying uh, counseling psychology at like this, you know, Sophia University. I was like so scared initially to even like go into it. But then once I got over the fear of, you know, false evidence appearing as real, uh, like I got over it right afterwards. Um you know, right before I went to to start my university program, I went to Burning Man and I got over it real quickly and I was able to be fully present with myself. I understood my 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 pathway. I understood what I had to do for myself in order to be able to have this courage within myself, because like in military culture, they talk about courage, integrity and honesty. And that that was like hammered into me as a child in my DNA, (laughs) you know, like over and over again to have integrity with myself with what I do. And, you know, I'm also reminded of like Don Miguel Ruiz's four agreements. And so that's that's something that I do practice. So I just, I just hope that everybody is on like the same page that like, this is the path that I'm traversing. Um, and you know, uh, being a geographer with my background as a scientist, I spent a lot of time um, in nature, you know, uh, with my friends and my other scientist friends doing field trips. And we called it getting geographied, basically going outside and, you know, 
connecting with nature and uh, spending like time uh, out of no time. So it, it's really nice to be able to commune with the earth, the land that I'm on. And I'm really grateful for my teachers in Miwok land because I learned a lot from them. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if you want to go into that, like how I became interested in psychedelics and all that stuff. So Yeah, yeah I do. But before we jump down that rabbit hole, I just want to clarify two things um, about kind of the licensure side of things and everything. And then we'll jump down that rabbit hole. The first one is the process that you're going through. Is that specific to California or is that a similar model to other states? Like, what does that kind of look like? Yeah. So, okay. So that's two questions. So let me answer the second question. It's somewhat similar to other states. So to my understanding, every state has their own requirement. In California, California is like the most difficult state to get licensed in. I figured that because it, I grew up here, I feel at home in California. Originally, I thought I was going to get licensed in Oregon and Washington. When I first started the, the master's program, I actually thought I was going to stay in Oregon because it was the 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 closest one that was to be legalized with with the psychedelic medicine. Um, it didn't quite work out that way. What ended up happening is that I ended up moving back to California because there was more work opportunities in California. And my family is also in California. And I knew that I had to support my parents and I had to support my family. So I ended up moving back to California. Um, little did I know that the 3,000 hour requirements to be able to sit for the exam was going to take that long. So <laughs> I just kept going at it. You know, I just never gave up. I just kept going. I, I'm an athlete. You know, I, I, I figured this is the same thing as a Spartan race. I just, you know, it's just another obstacle course that I have to complete. So I have, I have that mentality about pretty much everything that I do in my life. Um, interestingly enough, there was a podcast that came out of that program through my creative expression and transformation program because it was a very transformative program. And I spent a lot of years, um, you know, crafting that podcast. So that was a part of my portfolio for my creative expression and transformation certificate. So, and that podcast is, is online. It's called Crown and Chakra. Yeah. So to answer your the the first question, um, let's see. The answer to the first question about uh, licensure in California. Um, yes, California has its own requirements. The BBS just added some additional things that um, pre-licensed people would have to meet. I think that came out in July. I just read that a few days ago too. And I was, I was like having some interesting reactions about it because I knew I already met those requirements. So I'm not worried about it. I just hope that they issue me my associate's registration number for my professional clinical counseling license pretty soon because that application has been sitting with them since 
January of this year, which is an ungodly long amount of time because I applied at the same time as my peers and they already received their APCC registration number. So I'm not really sure if if they're behind or if they're still reviewing things or, or I, I'm not sure what their thoughts are about all this. Um, but I do hope that they they see that my intentions are in a good place to be able to help people because, um, yeah, like I, I have a lot of clients and friends that are in the military that have been waiting for me to get this going. Like my best friends in the Coast Guard, my my uh, brother uh, is a veteran of the army, my dad from the Navy, you know, like I basically am surrounded by all these people and I support the, you know, people in, in airspace, like my neighbors, NASA right there. So like they're all waiting for, for this registration number to get going so that I could continue work. Cause right now I'm just kind of waiting uh, so I really, uh, you know, hope and pray that they would at least see the good graces to issue that number so that I could just keep going with this, you know. So. Yeah, it's a really intense process. Like, my gosh, yeah. you've been working on it for so long. Yeah, I thought about just maybe like letting it go. But then in my heart, I was thinking, no. I, I've already, I'm already in the middle of this entire thing. I can't stop. That's like saying, oh, you're in the middle, you're on mile 18 of uh, the marathon, 20, 26.3 miles. So can't stop now. You just got to yeah. keep going. <laughs> you can't give up now. You're almost there. You're pretty much oh, yeah. there. Exactly. So I just have to keep going. I just need my other license and I should be good to go. Yeah, keep going. You you'll get there. It's it's like yeah. I see a number of people who like get to the dissertation portion of their PhD and literally like they have the research done on they have to do is write it and it just like doesn't happen. And I'm like, you are right there. Like, yes, it's it's a hard it's a hard yeah. hurdle, just like everything else is hard, but like you're right there. Just keep pushing. You'll get it. You'll get it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of dissertation, I just started my dissertation process. Uh, like February, March, February or March of this year. And I didn't know how much rigor and how much focused attention that required that I, I, I had to give it the attention that it really needs. So um, I'm focusing on that right now until things settle down with the licensure process, until the BBS basically, uh, you know, decides what they want to do with this with this whole entire thing so in a way I'm just kind of you know allowing that to happen whatever they want to happen with that that's up to them but I I have to also abide by the rules so that way I could serve the greater community that I'm a part of to be able to you know um, move forward and, and heal uh, in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. um, I also I'm saying this because I worked at um, so many different places. And most recent place that I that I worked at was at a, a sober uh, facility where um, people that were recovering from very difficult drugs that were um, 
was, was like concerning. It's like the DEA doesn't really care so much about these types of psychedelics. What they care about is fentanyl. Like, mm-hmm. And like, that's like a big problem. Like the fentanyl problem is the problem. And so that's really like what they're worried about. And so I, I also knew that by working at a facility like that and working with the senior fellows with their guidance on like what the next steps are and what to do, I knew that I need to concentrate and focus on my own path because it it's important for people people to understand that the that problem is so severe that the people that are recovering from that uh, that were in a facility like that um, it's really heartbreaking because I, I I saw what it could do to people and it's really sad um, and the recovery process for them is also intense because um, they have to go through these um, steps to recover so that that way they don't relapse. So um, I understood that I, I also play a large role with helping um, uh, support the therapists that are working in a facility like that. So, um, you know, I, I just have to make sure that I do my own personal work in order to be able to be um, fully present with the, the mentees that I've been mentoring with the Graduates for Students Association of Psychedelic Studies uh, for the past, what, three years now since 2020. Um, yeah, during the pandemic, I was like co-hosting the monthly meetups with them and I still support some of the students and with the same path just to help them find and figure out what kind of you know, legal pathway that they could go to if they do decide to pursue this as a career. So I just try to resource people as much as possible. So um, I also talk to a lot of my my peers and my friends that are, are working at the VA and they're, they're, you know, they've been so kind to me to advise me of like what I could do for myself um, to be able to support people and just kind of resource people that they're also helping with mental health wise. So I understand what what is required. I understand what's needed. I just, you know, want people to understand that, um, you know, it's it's not an easy path. <laughs> it's like uh, summiting a, a mountain safely. <laughs> with uh, people that have been through it and um, have gone to base camp safely. Yeah. 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 It's, it's definitely a hard journey. And, uh, and I think I, hopefully we didn't scare any of our listeners away from pursuing that journey. (laughs) If anything, I hope they see that you're an amazing resource that can help them out with it. Um, Let's go ahead and jump down the rabbit hole. I want to hear how you kind of ended up here. So let's, I guess a good place to start with is um, how did you find psychedelics? What made you want to start heading in this direction and and decide to climb this mountain? (laughs) I don't think I found psychedelics. I think psychedelics found me. That's what happened. Um, So actually, when I was in high school, um, 
I uh, heard about this thing called MDMA and I didn't know what MDMA was. I just like the only thing that I knew about psychedelics at the time was through the D.A.R.E. program at my school and I was terrified of it. And um, we had a high school dance and some friends were, were talking about MDMA and I was like, I don't know what that is. So um, it's not that I participated with it. I didn't. I was just aware of it. Um, what ended up happening was that there were some some folks that were participating, but I was I was just around and I, I loved the vibe. I loved the music. I loved everything about it. So I just thought, okay, well, this is interesting. So I, I think I'm just going to pursue art as some sort of like a career later in the future, um, because that's something that I have been super interested in since I was a child. So um, I learned uh, that there there were raves that were happening and all these things. Uh, but I didn't really know what was really going on in that place. <laughs> all, the only thing that I knew is that you have to hydrate a lot of water so overheat. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I was I was like, okay, all about hydration, great. So I was aware of, of all these things, but I really like really I had no idea what, what it was. So um, anyway, long story short, um, I ended up uh, going to uh, University of Hawaii um, on an art scholarship right after that. Uh, I think I got like third place at uh, some painting contest or, or like at a museum. Uh, I was like 15 years old uh, when I went to college. So I, I graduated super early. I was the youngest in my class. And, um, you know, like at that time, I like didn't really know or understand what psychedelics were, but I was just aware of it. So I remember um, in Hawaii, I think on my uh, second, the first year of uh, going there, I was like 15 years old. There was this guy that was um, that was sitting in my architecture class, and he was he was like staring at me super intensely. And then right after class, he came up to me and he was like, "Hey, you have nice vibes, and you." Um, I would love for you to um, help me with our, our midterm paper. I said, why? He said, uh, you seem like a smart person and it, I can't, I'm having trouble concentrating because I just dropped some acid in my eyes. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. Like, I don't know anything about LSD or acid at all. So, um, <laughs> so he was like, can you just sit with me and help me with this paper so I can like make sure that I'm still here. And I was like, yes, okay, absolutely. Anyway, so I think that was like the beginning of my therapist career. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I sat with a person and I helped him with his paper. Um, and when he was like healthier, like back with his own self again, he went back to the his, his dorms. I went surfing right after that and like went, on my merry way to just kind of do my thing. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like how psychedelics found me uh, initially. And then I didn't really like actually know what actual psychedelics was until um, an initiatory phase that I had to go through when I was, um, you know, in Hawaii, met some 
uh, Samoan and Hawaiian hunas where they basically introduced me to kava and that was like my first altered state of consciousness was through kava I was like 15 and uh, I didn't know what kava was I thought it was muddy water that was really bitter and um, uh, all I remember was that we were singing in a circle and there was bonfire in the middle and they were passing around this wooden cup of coconut with some kava in it and that that was the beginning of <laughs> my journey uh, I didn't really talk about this with anybody actually except for like my close friends and I remember going back to California after that initiate initiation and initiatory phase when I was like 16 and I you know was talking to a friend of mine and I somehow ended up with this like DVD from uh, a talk uh, with like Karen Voigt was like the name is like a DVD of like yoga. And that was like the first time that I ever encountered yoga aside from like watching it on, on online or on, on TV at the time I'm dating myself because I watched a lot of TV. <laughs> I don't watch television anymore, but I remember uh, watching Deepak Chopra for the first time and thinking that it was weird how somebody can get paid to do yoga and like have a DVD for it. I was like 17 or 19. I was studying nursing at the time, but I didn't pursue nursing completely because like every Filipino American that I knew was becoming a nurse. Mm -hmm. And I would said like, you know, like it was so intense after my first rotation at the ER, I was like, 17 years old or 18 years old as a teenager and I remember like some intense details which I'm not going to say in this podcast and I ended up getting my EMT1 certificate instead uh, I was like an EMT teenager so you know like with my background going up in a military family I was like all about safety 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 that's mm. that was it and you know after my experience with a guy from college you know I was like okay never mind I'll just become an EMT and then uh, I was like 21, you know, felt these like intense experiences like, like helped me become capable as like a safety minded, safety oriented person to begin with uh, before adventuring or learning anything about psychedelic at all, psychedelics, uh, the classical psychedelics anyway, um, you know, so I. Uh, so I became a geographer right after that. I was thinking that, okay, what kind of career can I do in like leisure land? Because I just, I just don't really want to work completely. I just want to stay connected to nature and recover from my EMT life. So I decided that I was going to study geography. Um, before that I was a business major and my, that, you know, I owned a wedding planning business and I ended up selling it. So it worked out really well, but I ended up becoming a geographer. And uh, right after graduation with my bachelor's degree in geography, I ended up studying GIS. Um, I went to Death Valley on a vision quest by myself. Um, and I learned that there were Shoshone tribes right around that area uh, that were basically guiding me throughout the whole entire process. Um, it didn't really dawn on me until after the fact that that was an actual vision quest. So um, I just thought I was just going there and going hiking, but it was actually like a vision quest. So, it was, you know, looking back at it, it was like, oh, that was actually really cool. 
So I learned that there's um, geospatial awareness that every person, every human being on the planet has. It's just a matter of us reconnecting to that spirit of the land and the spirit of the environment and the elementals that are in the environment uh, to receive guidance. So I learned how to, to be able to be present with that through that secondary initiatory phase. So um, during my undergraduate research, it was like a long time frame of like slugging through my 20s. Right after graduation, um, I worked at corporate America in like different settings. I worked in sales. I worked in uh, Fortune 500 companies. I worked in advertising. So just kind of like forgot about like what that was for a short time frame. I fell asleep. Basically, I took a nap and then now, you know, and then after a while, you know, it was like one workplace trauma to another. It's like, okay, this this company didn't work out because they eliminated the position. So there was a lot of workplace trauma that I was like healing from. And it was like years and years of that throughout my 20s from the positions being eliminated. So I ended up redoing my yoga classes I found a dvd from Karen (laughs) like when I was a teenager and I was like this this worked before this is gonna work again so that's what I told myself so I I studied yoga again but this time more seriously you know so um yeah and because I needed that to balance after work and this was like during the time when like cannabis was totally you know on the the board to be able to um you know be on the path for legalization this is like before the path to legalization this is like you know like healing drug resistant uh uh depression and other things anyway i had a i had a friend whose mom was epileptic and um and, and i was like doing some research with uh cannabis at the time for healing drug drug resistant epilepsy, um, since there is a lot of evidence that THC and cannabis is helpful for for some people who've been diagnosed with drug resistant epilepsy. So, cannabis sativa is a plant that's been used to treat epilepsy, pain, and also anorexia since ancient times. And I, I that kind of surprised me at the time because like I didn't know that that's that's what it could do, um, and. And um, as soon as they approved the, uh, the, the folks that have been, um, you know, able to get cannabis, medical cannabis uh, with dispensaries through their medical card, um, that was like the beginning of all, of all these things. And so there's also like a, this really great article that I read recently because I was like revisiting this for the podcast. Uh, <laughs> So I found this like really great article from Stanford that while it may have been helpful in treatment, it does affect short term memory. So so there's like some cautionary things. And again, this is like my safety (laughs) self. So, um, yeah. (laughs) So, however, there's like a lot of positive results from Delta 9 THC that's considered to be safer, more effective in treating seizures and uh, less adverse psychotropic effects. Um, So anyway. Right after that, I did a lot of training, Spartan races, warrior dashes, because, you know, I'm an athlete and, uh, you know, I did a lot of those things with my best friends and my sister. Um, And then, you know, like I mentioned, 
this was still during a time when cannabis was still in the process of being legalized. And due to the stress and all that from workplace trauma, I was like really trying to figure out how to heal my own workplace trauma from all that. So I was at a regional advertising agency in Portland, ended up moving to Washington, and then later back again in Oregon, where cannabis was already legal uh, to be able to heal myself, just basically from all that workplace trauma from all those years. So anyway, right after that, um, in my 30s, I had a spiritual awakening, uh, what some may call a dark night of the soul. After leaving a position in corporate, you know, I was working as a, um, a physician recruiter. So I worked with a lot of hospitalists. I worked with a lot of um, people that, that worked in, in hospitals, like ER doctors, basically all physicians. Um, and I learned that I have this knack for just listening to people and and it reignited my love for therapy again, you know? So, and because I was also healing my own workplace trauma from, from the, just the way that the news is delivered to some of these people, if not done carefully, you could really traumatize certain people. So I was like healing my own workplace trauma from position elimination. So I was reintroduced to a more serious practice with yoga during that time. After leaving that company, I studied Buddhism for my own peace of mind. I went to Nepal I got serious with yoga. I was exposed to Kashmiri Shaivism as an introduction. Uh, the yoga home that I studied at was like right next to Osho Tapaban, where Osho had a spiritual compound. So they had a bunch of libraries there. I was very uh, fortunate enough to be able to, to visit that place for a short time frame. And I had, uh, you know, like a, an awakening with my spiritual self, just with yoga uh, and my own self-awareness through pranayama. So I would say that was like my most meaningful experience with transcending my own ego in the most blissful way was through practice of meditation and yoga. And then when I came back to America after learning yoga, I taught workshops and classes. I went to the Eclipse Festival. And so we know what happens at festivals. Um, <laughs> where I was introduced to all sorts of people and experiences. I met my beautiful skinny chef friend who helped me stay grounded in my own body and myself, like my true self, right? Right after such a big experience with uh, DM, the molecule of DMT so um, and LSD as part of my learning experience to be present with. So I also learned that medicines should not be combined at that time and the folks at white bird medical they they were there were some really awesome volunteers uh, at that festival one was named james who helped me maintain my awareness within myself because i felt that this narrative of not being good enough for work was was just dissipating it was just like healing it you know like workplace trauma and all that it was just dissipating it was like the trauma was just gone and i was so surprised that how I was able to heal that and sit with myself and then accept worthiness 
to be able to accept worthiness after that experience, knowing that I'm good enough and that we as people are naturally connected to these molecules after studying it. And after the fact that we actually naturally produce DMT in our own brains. So right after that, I connected with my my friend James, who also happened to be at Burning Man. So I went to Burning Man um, right before I started my university studies, where I was able to integrate that experience from the Eclipse Festival um, and then get to know the psychedelic community better in like a more connected way. And I also met some really nice folks at the Zendo Project and MAPS who've been able to sit with me. And honestly, they're a godsend during that time frame because they helped me decide and understand that I have natural healing abilities that needed to be channeled in a very direct and contained way in a safe manner. So I'm really grateful for the training. I'm grateful for the people that showed me the path. Um, Shortly after this, some sort of like universal alignment from the universe. I was, you know, I was accepted to the counseling psychology program at Sophia University right after that. And so I decided that, hey, this is perfect. I'm going to be a psychedelic therapist in a legal way because it's much needed. And I really understood that there's a great need for people like me in mental health who can sit with deep experiences like this. So, yeah. That's an intense journey. (laughs) I could keep going. I don't know if you have any questions about that or like, yeah. I think that was a really great presentation of it. Um, I like the narrative essence of it. And um, I think it really speaks to something that I kind of highlight in, in some of the podcast episodes, but I like the way you present it in this narrative of just kind of following your path and and recognizing that sometimes things don't always go as planned, right? Um, I think some people can be jaded when they have this idea that they want some type of career in the psychedelic field and they're just like, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and then I'm going to get to like my final endpoint and be happy there when really the road to getting there is very much um, non-directional, honestly, you know, it's yeah. kind of all over the place. You end up in multiple positions. You think you're going one way and you're turned around, you're going another mm-hmm. way. And it's, um, and, and you also kind of just bring up this idea of, it reminds me of this thing of like kind of going with the flow and, and like this idea of like the universe will give you the things that you need in your path when it's time for you to have them. Right. So you had that yoga DVD and it kind of like dissipated in your life for a little bit and then it came back around right when you needed Uh it. Right. Um, So I think it's, I think it's a beautiful narrative narrative to remind our listeners that, um, you know, that the life goal, the end goal that you're getting to is never going to be a straight and narrow path. It's going to be very curved and it's going to be full of life lessons and, And I think something important that you bring up too is it's probably going to be filled with traumas and that's totally normal and it's totally okay. And it makes me realize how many traumas I've been through along the way, but I never recognize them as being so um, like transformative for me and shaping the path Mm -hmm. that even I Mm -hmm. am following, which is just really fascinating to kind of sit in and think about myself. Um, so yeah, I just I really like the way that you presented that. And I know we you've kind of touched on your education 
a little bit here and there while talking about like the licensure. So I think um, I do want to talk a little bit more about it. Uh, Specifically, let's talk about, because you bring up, you know, we talked quite a bit about the master's. Let's talk a little bit about this PhD in transpersonal psychology, because I want to make sure that I understand and that our listeners understand, first of all, what is transpersonal psychology and what what do you do with that in conjunction with like the education and the experience that you already have now? Yeah. So about the transpersonal psychology. So transpersonal psychology, the word transpersonal actually holds a very near near and dear place in my heart, especially in the field of psychology. Um, you know, especially with somebody with like a scientific background as a geographer and um, and then switching to studying psychology, uh, more importantly, like spiritual psychology, because I really wanted to understand um, what exactly is that connection that each one of us has with nature. And I'm sure there was some sort of explanation for it. And the closest thing that I could that I could find, or at least the most accurate thing that I could find was transpersonal. And transpersonal uh, holds a very special place in the field of psychology because it not only encompasses the meridian intersections of the spiritual topics that are not normally explained by just psychology or spiritual psychology or the psychology of consciousness, but it also includes the whole person's well-being in high positive regard without pathologizing the patient or the client that traditional psychotherapeutic psychotherapeutic models uh, do regarding healing trauma. So transpersonal psychology's focus is in this spiritual healing and how the mind, the body, and the spirit are all interconnected as one. That one's not greater than the other philosophical value of each uh, type of of psychological process, but rather it's very much like two different flowers that are blooming at the same time, like a saguaro cactus that blooms and flowers, uh, and then the other one is like a prickly prickly pear cactus. Both are cactus species but they're far different from each other and both bloom beautiful different flowers, right? So that's kind of how I like to um, think about the different subsets of psychology. Um, The closest field of study that I've found is somewhere along the intersection of philosophy and spiritual practices and transpersonal bridges that gap. There's like this gap that exists in a philosophy and spiritual practice and psychology and transpersonal transpersonal psychology has been able to reconnect all of those fields together in order to reconnect our understanding of what soul existence is or what our spiritual essence of one's truth is however somebody defines that um, within a person's own personal individual process of healing. So that's why I decided to pursue my study and uh, my PhD in transpersonal psychology because I feel this is such an important field 
for people to to be aware of and and it's such an important field of of really healing our our own our own selves in a in a healthy way and at least there's some sort of framework for it that um, normal psychology hasn't been able to answer. That was a wonderful explanation. Um, I really like that. And I can kind of see now, because I feel like a lot of um, the programs that we do see with like certificates and licensures in relation to like the therapy side of things are very um maybe I'd call it kind of rigid and structured, right? But I like that, like your interest in transpersonal psychology, it has that ability to bridge this kind of structured, almost clinical treatment of um, healing trauma, right? With this very honestly psychedelic, um, unbounded kind of conception of the self, like, you know, like, how do we define the soul? How do we define what spirit is, you know, and transpersonal psychology can bridge that kind of psychedelic self with this structured model of healing and therapy um, to provide a more holistic and well-being form of, of healing. And I, and I really like that. And in all honesty, I didn't really for the longest time, I didn't necessarily know exactly what it meant or how it all came together, but that totally makes a lot of sense now. So, mm-hmm. so in your experience um, before entering this program with like the internships and all of the other therapy-based experiences that you had, were you already integrating transpersonal psychology in there or was it like the work that you were doing was very, I guess I, I would think of it as like textbook kind of therapy, you know, or were you already kind of integrating some of that transpersonal psychology in there without necessarily having started the program yet? Yeah. So, um, so because the school that I attended was based on transpersonal psychology, so before it became Sophia University, it was the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. And I became Sophia University after uh, a while because there is just a need for people to have like a business background. And, you know, here in Silicon Valley, um, there's just a huge need for people to have support within technology. So they had to have like an engineering uh, technology lab, and they also had to have like a business side of things. So, so we, instead of just like focusing on transpersonal psychology, then it became this like whole big, big school. And the the founders of the school were obviously, you know, like well-versed in, in this field. So I decided to learn from, from the people that basically knew what they were doing. Uh, And I, was very fortunate enough and privileged enough to be able to go and have my all of my psychological training um, for my master's program up until now for my PhD program at a university that only focuses on the transpersonal. So from the beginning when I started psychology, I knew that it was a spiritual path and I knew that it was going to be a, a not-so-ordinary not psychology program like every every other school. It was very specific to 
um, what I had experienced at these festivals. And because I was looking for answers myself, um, I wanted to really figure out how to be able to write about this. I And the, the container in an academic setting was exactly perfect for being able to integrate those transformative experiences so that I was able to write about um, those things in in an academic setting. Uh, So, but I also knew what the rules were. Like if you went to a university and was receiving some sort of financial award, you're not allowed to go and have any type of association or whatever with, not association, but like, you know, participation in some sort of these things, which is kind of interesting because, um, you know, here, here I am like researching and like writing about all this stuff. And because we're interested in it, like inherently we as humans have evolved to this point in our consciousness, to our present moment now that we somehow internally and subconsciously just know that we have to alter our our consciousness in order to evolve we have we have to do it we we do it because we ourselves are interested in understanding ourselves and because we are part of nature we constantly seek that out to be able to connect to nature And I knew that within myself because I was born in the Philippines and I grew up here in California. And I knew in my soul that growing up from an animistic type of culture and then a military culture and then going to like the mainstream culture and then American culture, there's so many different cultures. So I just knew that like as a third culture woman of, um, you know, of color, I knew that this is a necessity, but I also knew that I had to integrate it in a super Americanized way so that I don't miss out on any, any of these experiences. But I also knew that there was like a more um, greater understanding of what my roots were. So that also led me to try to understand what the de- what what I define as spirit, you know, because each person has a connection to spirit. It's just a matter of um, really listening to what what that is. And I also um, knew that growing up in California that um, there's indigenous land that I'm stepping on every single day, and the elements like the water and the sun and the air uh, and the land, you know, they, they, they're they all there. And then there's the element of life, you know, or human life that is so important to all of us. So I just want to emphasize that, you know, spirit is like present in everything. And I learned that from my teachers at a Native American church in Miwok land. So I, I am aware of our connection to the land. And because I spent a lot of my adult life growing up in Miwok land, I basically am grateful for my teachers for showing me the medicine path 
and showing me the way to be able to be present with that. Initially, I was really not sure if, you know, am I, am I the, I asked myself this many times before I, before I was even part of the church or actually when, even when I was a part of the church, you know, I still am, but I was, I was thinking like, am I the one that's the colonizer because I wasn't born here? So I really questioned that for a while. And then I, I asked the spirit of the land and it said, no, you're a child of the earth and you're a child of the universe. And, uh, this is part of your DNA. This is part of your makeup. You know, the molecules are part of you. You naturally produce these in your brain. So it's okay to study these. It's okay to write about it. It's okay to talk about it. And I knew that in my soul that this is, this is, this is what we have to do in order to survive as a species. This is what we have to do in order to be fully present with ourselves. Um, and sometimes, you know, we we need help because um, things happen in people's lives, you know, uh, especially after COVID. We're living in a post-COVID world. And so I, I knew that these medicines are very sacred and that we need to do everything that we can in order to protect it, in order to stay connected to nature and also to... Um, uh, exercise our uh, inal- inalienable sovereign rights and amendments in America to be able to express ourselves in this way, uh, so that we can we can fully keep our amendments and keep our sovereign rights as Americans. So I I knew that, uh, and I I very much believe that that is part of the purpose that I'm here to, to be present with. And I knew that um, there are a lot of young people that are also trying to navigate their ways. So I'm just present with a lot of them and try to have um, the right education and the right information to share with people because the, you know, the drug narrative about what drugs are and what plant medicine is, is like not even the same. (laughs) So, you know, I just want to share clarification for people that they're not drugs, they're, they're medicine and that they heal people in a deeper way to help us stay connected to our soul and our conscience, you know, because, in a world that is rife with technology and AI, we need it. Yeah. That was wonderfully said. I love so much of that. And I think something that really popped up for me, well, you know, while you were saying a lot of that is in my own experiences, um, I feel like I feel very conflicted sometimes when I try to, bring together some of the more kind of like spiritual side of the experiences that I've had, right. Along with, you know, current medical and therapeutic models that we have. And for me, it just, for the longest time, they felt like they just couldn't mesh. And I think in the last hour or so that we've been talking 
you have started to convince me that there are ways that they can come <laughs> together, right? Um, and and I think part of that comes for me as an anthropologist, seeing the number of anthropologists that study like indigenous plant medicine practices and stuff like that um, is very juxtaposed to the medical models and therapeutic structured protocols that we're seeing. So from my perspective, it's always just kind of this very two separated worlds, whereas I am starting to really see, especially with the work that you do and explaining what is transpersonal psychology and your experiences, there's a way to bring those two things together within a harmony, right? It doesn't have to be either or. They don't have to be separate worlds. There can be this mixing of the two that can be very beneficial for a lot of people. Um, so I really love that. And I really appreciate your ability to help me see that, you know? Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. I really, I like that. That helped me. That really helped me kind of process some, some (laughs) internal conflict that I had for a long time and I didn't know how to, how to work with that, but that's really helpful. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) So you've shared so much with us. You've had an abundance of experience um, and you're, I would say, I want to say you're just getting started because I feel like you are to a, in a way. I am, yeah. Right? That PhD, yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, you know, there's a bunch of hurdles there um, and it's going to feel like you're climbing to a whole new top of a mountain, but I promise you, you will get there. Um, so thinking back when you're experienced, thinking about, you know, you're in this PhD program, you're studying transpersonal psychology. Let's look down the road and talk about, I don't know how long your PhD program is. So let's, let's push it out a little bit. Let's say seven to 10 years. Cause I know PhD programs take a minute. Um, but let's talk about like 10 or so years from now, where do you see yourself and what would you like to be doing? Ooh, I have thought about this quite often. I would like to have my own private practice and be fully present with my God kids. I have over 20 God kids. So this is part of the reason, a huge part of the reason why I decided to pursue a PhD in transpersonal psychology. And um, I'm only in my first year, second quarter of, of my studies. So like you said, I am just beginning to study this. And I really hope to be fully present with myself and my God kids on how to do this well with the help and guidance of my peers and professors in a healthy way so that I could maintain my current responsibilities as, as, as their, you know, guardian guide, you know, so I can write about the topic, you know, rites of passages. That's really what I'm interested in because I went through my own rites of passages when I was growing up. That all happened in the Philippines and they're all um, things that I am like exploring and recalling. And so I hope to be able to share those traditions and share those in wisdoms and impart those indigenous animistic type of uh, uh, practices with my God kids. So I, you know, hope to be able to write about this and have some sort of uh, a way to help my, you know, young people find their way through a structured way 
and still allow them to flourish and bloom the way that they are without having too much influence and just really um, accept the way that they are without indoctrinating them <laughs> into some sort of thing. So my hope is to have some sort of a, a practice or an institute of some sort, like down the line with some some amazing teachers, you know, aside from myself, to be able to guide them in a healthy path, in a healthy way. So that way they can just be themselves and not not get too worried about trying to appease or please everybody else on the external world. And um, yeah, that's really my hope is to be able to help, help maintain their connection to the land and to the trees. And so, um, you know, maintain their awareness with their connection to their soul in, in their spirit with themselves so that they can show up fully for themselves in the community in a healthy way. Um, yeah, so that's really what I what I envision to be able to to provide. I mean, who knows if that's really going to happen? I hope that it happens. I pray that it happens. I pray for it every day. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's really important, especially when you think about, because we've kind of talked intermittently about culture and you mentioned, you know, like there's, you find yourself kind of in the middle of all of these different cultures. And when you look at kind of mainstream American culture, my husband and I talk about this so often, but like mainstream American culture doesn't have like rites of passage for for younger individuals, right? Like, I mean, you can think of some things like going to prom or getting your driver's license is kind of like this rite of passage by the anthropological definition in, a, in some way, shape or form, right? But in reality, like, does it really address, like, does it get to what you're talking about? Does it help, you know, an individual see inside themselves and see them true, their true selves, right? Mm -hmm. To come out and be more of that true self, and embrace it right and it, when you think yes. about it like that in american culture we don't have in mainstream american culture we don't really have you know practices or rituals around making that happen and like i said my husband and i talk about this all the time we're like if we have a kid because we're only gonna have one if we have any but if we have a kid like how can we create that for them so i think this vision that you have for the work that you want to do in the future is one totally possible. Hands down. You can make that happen. No problems. Well, I won't say no problems. There's going to be hurdles. There always are, but you hands down can totally make it happen. And two, I think it's essential. I think it's really essential because it's something that is lacking in our mainstream culture. And it's something that we really need. And when we think about bringing it back around to um, kind of evolving ourselves as humans, like that we have to tap into our consciousness in that way in order to keep growing. So mm -hmm. I think it goes back to that essential point that you brought up early earlier about um, expanding our consciousness is part of the key to growing as, as human beings, as individuals, but also collectively as, you know, a, a group yeah. of humans, essentially, you know, mm -hmm. um, so I think that's so important and it's really beautiful 
And I haven't had anyone on the podcast yet that has talked about therapy or healing or anything like this in this way. So it's really cool to hear this and know that there are people that have a vision for the future that encompasses this because it's really important, not just to, you know, it's important to our individual selves, but I think it's important to, you know, humans as a species, but it's also really important because it means tapping back into like, you keep going back to geography and the land and the earth and even like our ancestors, but we need to tap back into that. And the only kind of way to do Mm -hmm. that is through our, our consciousness and expanding it and reconnecting with ourselves and others. So I think that is perfectly said. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Before we wrap things up, is there any other advice or knowledge or expertise that you want to share with our audience? Mm, Okay. So my advice for others is that you have to get up and you have to stay up. You have to keep moving when you want to be laying down, (laughs) especially (laughs) when it's challenging, especially when it's challenging. I repeated it twice. Um, So you have to keep it going, keep it flowing. You have to just, be when you want to dance and move around just be that's my philosophy just be be present to now it's always happening now life is always on so our mission vision and purpose is to be fully present to life now and in the tagalog tradition which is what my background is because i speak tagalog um and Tagalog is actually the river language. So that's, if you translate Tagalog into English, it literally translates to the language of this river, the river river language. And it's a celestial language because it's also akin to um, the native Hawaiians practice with the Polynesian voyaging society with like using the stars as a map. So, so we, our language is derived from the celestials. So that's how we greet each other. In Tagalog, we have a saying that we greet each other and it's, it's mabuhay, which is similar to aloha in Hawaiian. And in the Philippines, we say mabuhay to remind each other to come back to that place of love and life, you know, our love for life. So mabuhay. Mabuhay, mabuhay. <laughs> it's 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 fun, you know. I love saying it. And mabuhay is a greeting that you say to invoke the spirit of life into another human being. And it's basically, you know, it's the es- essential greeting for the the element of life. So the advice is basically the same. It's the same since I grew up in a military household. It's all it's all going to be the same. If all else fails. Always fall back on your most basic training. You get up on time, you make your bed, you exercise, drink water, hydrate, eat well, eat breakfast, eat your greens, drink your vitamins, whatever form it is, uh, and nourish and replenish the element of life within you. Mabuhai. <laughs> so oh, nice. do your work well with gratitude regardless of the outcome, but don't take any nonsense from anybody and uh, regardless of what their status is. So be in stillness at the end of the day, be with prayer. It doesn't matter what form it is. It could be silence. It could be contemplative practice. It doesn't matter what your practice is. What matters is that you have one. And when the stars are out, look up. Remember 
who you know you truly are and what ancestral love is. That's your map. When you feel lost, look up at the stars and navigate well. Trust yourself. Stay connected to your family, even if you dislike some of them. Continuously work on yourself. Laugh. Play. Don't be too serious about your day-to-day stuff. We're here to enjoy our gift of life as people. We're not machines. We have a soul and a conscience. Make sure that you're continuously remembering to stay connected to your love consciousness. It's called your soul. Uh, Use your connection with your own heart and sovereignty to maintain a positive mental attitude all the time. Lastly, make sure you take good care of your body and your health, along with your mental health and emotional well-being. You'd be so surprised what a good amount of well-rested and rejuvenating sleep can do for you. Stay connected to the psychedelic community. Share your story. Forgive people even if you don't feel like it or you don't want to. Just forgive them. You'll thank yourself later and your soul will be much happier for it. Practice love consciousness. Dance, sing, play, get outside, hug some trees. The devices can wait. It's really okay to not have your cell phone with you everywhere you go. Use paper maps as a backup just in case when you go somewhere remote. And remember to remind yourself that every time that you look in that mirror, that you're your own best friend. Remind people that they're important in their lives and their work is also important. Forgive, love, remember, you already know who you are. I don't think I could have said anything better than that. That was perfect. I melted inside from a lot of that. That was my goal. (laughs) Yes, I thought you'd tap into my life force on that. (laughs) That's the practice. That's the magic of Mabuhai. Yeah, that's incredible. Oh, that was so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. There's so many pieces in there too. Like, mm, yes, so many, so many, so many. So I hope all of our listeners take that to heart because like, I can feel it. I can feel it. Yeah, I'm glad. (laughs) Speaking of our listeners, if they want to tap into any more of your golden knowledge, which you have so much of that we did not touch on during this episode. What's the best way that they can reach out to you and connect with you and learn more from you? Yeah. So the best way to get a hold of me is either on Facebook or on uh, Instagram. I have my link tree there. I also have uh, Insight Timer. Uh, I'm a teacher on Insight Timer. And I have my link tree on the Insight Timer as well. And I have been practicing this 365 Days of Wellness Daily Ritual Journaling Challenge since the beginning of the year. And uh, we get up every day at 6.30 a.m. And then another meditation group at 7 a.m., just in case you don't want to get up too early. So there's two meditation groups. And uh, we journal and we meditate and we basically um, are just part of the community. And so you can reach me there. You can send me a DM. Um, all the stuff that I'm working on is on the link tree. So that's the best way to get a hold of me or to reach out. Or if you have any questions, you could, um, you know, send that through the link tree. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. I will be sure to put a bunch of links in the show notes too, so everyone can easily find you. 
Um, and I'm also going to put a plug in there for Insight Timer because I love it. My husband and I use it for meditation. And yeah, there's actually there's one particular meditation that I use on there every time before I take a psychedelic. And I have to tell you, it puts me in the best headspace. It just totally opens me up to the experience and finding just like total acceptance of like whatever happens in that moment. And uh, I can't I can't you know, praise insight timer enough, especially when you look at like other apps that are out there that you actually have to like pay a bunch of money for like insight timer is like the bomb for sure. I love it. <laughs> they're, they're wonderful. They've been super supportive of my work since the beginning. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm really grateful that insight timer is, is there as a pioneering platform for uh, the work that I'm doing. So I'm really thankful for them. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mariah. Like, I'm so glad we finally got all of the stars to align for us to meet. We've been talking for like a year or more now, um, trying to get you on the podcast and like me trying to finish my dissertation, you trying to get your certificates and like all of the craziness in between. But here we are, we finally made it. Um, And I can't thank you enough. Like, We've had conversations in the past about all the work that you do, but you absolutely opened me up to some totally new things that I didn't know about you. And I'm so excited. I can't wait for our listeners to hear this and learn so much about it. I think it really gives a different and unique perspective on like psychedelic therapy and a unique approach to take to it that we don't often hear enough of. So I'm Mm -hmm. glad that you know, we get to highlight it. And I'm really grateful that, um, you know, we have the platform to be able to do that. Um, So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your experience. And I really encourage all of our listeners to reach out and touch base with you because I know there's even more, you know, goodies that you can share with, with everyone else. And of course, um, you know, like you keep saying, just keep pushing through PhD program is not going to be easy, but you've done hard stuff before. And um, you're going to come out on the other side and it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be everything you think you are going to dream of. And I promise it will be even more. Um, But we totally support you here at Psychedelic Grad with what you're doing and what you'll continue to do. So keep us updated and just keep going. And um, it's going to be wonderful. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, Gabby, for having me on your podcast and uh, the psychedelic grad community. And I look forward to um, connecting with people more. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to uh, answer whatever it is that, you know, people might want to inquire about and just provide resources for people as much as possible. So thank you again for having me here. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. I want to direct your attention once again to those show notes where you can find all of those relevant links from throughout our conversation, as well as the ways to connect with Mariah. Be sure to check them out. Reach out to her. She's an amazing resource, a wealth of knowledge. Don't skip out on that. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to connect with like-minded spirits, be sure to jump on over to our Psychedelic Grad community page. I also include that link in the notes. When you join our community, you'll get a weekly newsletter that's filled with all kinds of psychedelic goodies. We put in the current psychedelic studies, different announcements from the field, what's going on with policy, um, and of course, job openings. 
If you'd like to support Psychedelic Grad and the Curious to Serious podcast so that we can keep the dream alive, click on the link in the show notes to donate and buy us a coffee. And finally, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Maybe even drop us a comment so that we know that you like what you're hearing. And thank you again for joining us. I am your host, Gabby. Stay curious, and we look forward to seeing you back here for our next episode of Psychedelic Grad's Curious to Serious podcast.